morning, church. We're so excited to worship with you this morning. Thank you for joining us online. Um, yeah, I just wanted to encourage you today that I was reading the Psalms this morning. I was reading, your steadfast love is better than life, so I will praise you, or your praise will be on my lips. And I was just so encouraged that we can look at God's love and we can praise him and we can, we can adore him. And that's what our praise is. It's adoration. It's, it's us saying to him, have all of my affection, all of my attention. You, I adore you. And so this morning, I encourage you when we see God's love for us, this love that we can't be separated from, I encourage you to just respond with adoration, lift sounds of joy to our God. So I'm going to pray and then we'll, we'll start worshiping. Heavenly Father, I pray, Jesus, that you would just, Holy Spirit, that you'd come and fill us, that you'd give us um, a heart that longs to adore you, that longs to worship you, to give you praise, to give you glory. Um, yeah, would we just give you everything that you deserve, which is all of our affection this morning, Lord. Stir it up in our hearts that we would know you and know your love. Yeah, bless this service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. that 
that shone on the cross that took away our sins, Jesus. We thank you, God. It's so much better than anything else that this world offers. It's better than life. We love you. We're going to praise you. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. No, my soul praise Him, for He is thy health and salvation. All ye who hear, now to His temple draw near. Praise Him in glad adoration. Praise to the Lord who all things so wondrously reigneth. Shelters thee under His wings, yes, so gently sustain. Hast thou not seen how thy desires have been granted in what he ordained? Sing, O oh great God. No oh great God, blessed Redeemer. Merciful Savior, you are, oh great God, King of creation, hope of the nations, you are, oh great God, oh great God, blessed Redeemer, merciful Savior, you are. Prosper thy work and defend thee. Surely his goodness and mercy shall daily attend thee. Ponder anew what the Almighty can do if with his love he be Sing, oh great God. No oh, great God, blessed Redeemer, merciful Savior, you are. No oh, great God, King of creation, hope of the nations, you are. No oh, great God, blessed Redeemer. You are, oh great God, King of creation, hope of the nations. You are, great God, blessed Redeemer, merciful Savior. You are, oh great God. King of creation, hope of the nations, you are, you are. Good morning, Willow Park Church family. Uh, In just a moment here, we're going to take communion. If you want to go gather your juice and your bread. Uh, And while you do that, uh, you know, I just want to lead into uh, partaking together with a bit of story. Uh, Just a couple weeks ago, our family, we went uh, away for a week. We went camping and we got to hang out at the lake. And we went to this spot four years ago. And we're just there relaxing, enjoying being together as a family, communing together. 
And while we're there, we're just remembering the last time we were there four years ago, and the kids are telling stories, and they're remembering certain spots, and they remember the fish that we caught. And so when we come to take communion, it's like that. We're taking that time. We're taking that conscious time, separating ourselves, and we're communing with Christ. We're remembering what He's done in our lives. We're remembering that moment we came to know Him. We're remembering, you know what, that His blood was shed for us and it covers our sins. And so when we think maybe about something we're going through right now and we feel the shame of it, we come to Christ knowing that His blood covers that. We don't need to walk in that shame. When we feel like He's so distant, He's so far, we're taking time to commune with Him, recognizing that He's actually with us. His promise is that He'll never leave us, never forsake us, that His Spirit lives inside of us, it dwells within us, and we have access to Him. We have access to Him at any moment. We can speak to Him, and we know that He's working because His Spirit lives inside of us. Communion is about drawing close to Christ, remembering what He's done, remembering that He will always, always be with us, that we can come to Him with those things in our life that are broken, those situations where we feel, oh, I just feel really terrible about this. He just says, come to me, all who are weary. And he comforts us. We remember what he did for us on the cross and what that means as we move forward in life. So let's take a moment and reflect on Christ, on what the blood and the body broken means to us. This is his body, broken for us. Let's partake together. Just as his body was broken, this was his blood shed for us that covers our sins, that makes us white as snow. Let's partake together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that communion reminds us that we are in communion with you. Lord, it reminds us of what you did for us, the greatest act of love that has ever been done on this earth. We realize that you are love. Lord, it reminds us of what you've done in our lives. It reminds us of where you've taken us, what you've done uh, within our hearts. And also promises us that you're going to continue to work. You're going to continue to do mighty things in our hearts and our lives. So we come to you taking that time to remember what you've done. We don't rush through it. We dwell in it. We let it resonate within our hearts. So we thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. Amen.
so sweet to trust in you, to trust in what you've done on the cross to save us from our sins, to trust that your love will never be separated from us, to trust you that 
once we are in your hand, we will never be able to leave, Father, that we are always under your wing, always in your protection. Thank you for your great love, for your sweet, sweet love. Yeah, Jesus, I pray for everybody listening to this. I pray that they would know your love in a real and fresh way, God. Lord, that they would see you for who you are, see you for your grace, for your steadfast love that's better than life, better than anything that this world, that this city could offer. You are better than that, Jesus. Yeah, Father, bless the rest of this service. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hello, Willow Park Church. My name is Courtney. Thank you for joining us today for Church Online. And here is your family news. Next Sunday, you are invited to join us for one of our in-person dwell gatherings at three of our locations, Highway 33, Lake Country, and South. There will be three dwell services at Highway 33 at 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and 5.30 p.m. for Pursuit. At South, we will have two services at 9 and 11 a.m. At Lake Country, we will have one service at 9 a.m. To learn more, visit our website at willowparkchurch.com dwell. In order to attend our dwell gatherings, you need to register before each weekend. Registration opens on Tuesday at 9 a.m. and closes Saturday at 12 p.m. Space is extremely limited because we have less than 50 seats per service per room. So please register early. You can register on our website or using the free Church Center app. If you don't already have the app, be sure to download it today, as it will also be the way we share message notes and worship song lyrics with you when you are at a dwell gathering. Get the app today at willowparkchurch.com app. Last week, we had our first kids camp online, and it was so much fun. The kids had a blast, and we even heard that some parents enjoyed it too. Our next Kids Camp Online is happening August 17th to 21st, and registration is open at willowparkchurch.com slash kidscamp. Join us after church today for a live Zoom chat with one of our pastors. Simply visit the website to find the links to join in. We can't wait to see you all there. That's all for your family news. Thanks and enjoy your service. Good morning and welcome. Thank you so much for coming. We are so grateful to be here. My name is Jordan Pilgrim, and I am so happy to be able to be here with you today at the South Congregation. This is maybe my fourth or fifth time being in this building, and, and, uh, and now I am here basically with seven or eight of us and, and looking online. So I'm grateful that you guys have come and joined us, and uh, we're excited to be able to hear from God. Let's take a moment and, and let's pray and ready our hearts. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have to be here. Thank you so much that we could come and we can hopefully hear from you. I pray that you make our hearts ready and our ears open to hearing what you have to say to us and, and, and hearing what you have to say in our hearts. I pray that we would take that to heart knowing that you, Jesus, are Lord of our lives and we want to submit that to you. We want to hear what you have to say. So thank you so much for that. We pray that you be with us and, and meet us where we're at. In your name, Jesus. Amen. 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 Well, welcome. Thank you so much. And, and today we're going to be talking. I was I was given the uh, opportunity by um, Glenn as he he asked me to come speak here today, and I'm so excited to be able to come and share. And and when you get these open topics, you're allowed to speak about anything. And about um, about a week and a half ago, I started to I I heard someone talk about Matthew 11, and I heard a little a little devotional on Matthew 11. I started thinking about that. I thought that's something that I want to talk about. And 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 the very end of of Matthew 11, as you can see here, it says, it has that most famous verse that many of us have probably been thinking through and reading through and praying through over this last time. It says, come to me, all who are weary and, and burdened, I will give you rest. That, that coming to me, and I thought to myself, that's a beautiful verse, I want to look at that. And then I started to look from 25 to 30, and the verses before that talk about who we are coming to. We're coming to Jesus, who is Jesus is is God. Jesus is who God is, and we can get to know God through Jesus. 
And then before that, it says, come like little children. I thought this is a lovely way to, to talk this through, is talk about what a, what a little child like comes to Jesus, and then you come to him. But then it kind of says before that, it says, at that time, and so we have to go back a little further, and uh, a little further in chapter 11, it says, woe to the unrepentant towns. And so I thought, well, what does this have to do with coming to Jesus? It's unrepentant towns who are not really understanding what's happening. And then it says before that, it says, then Jesus began. So that means we have to even go further back. And as we go further back, we meet this man, John the Baptist. And many of us, you know, if we've grown up a little bit in the church or heard a little bit, we know we've heard a name, John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was this man that lived, lived in the wilderness, lived in the desert, ate locusts and honey and wore camel's hair. He's not someone that you would, that you would associate with, with the announcement of the kingdom of God coming. But that was his job. That was who he was. He was the one announcing the kingdom of God is coming. So when we look at John the Baptist and we look at the kingdom of God, we see things that are different. We see things that might not make complete sense to us. It's kind of like when I'm sitting at a breakfast table and I have water in my glass. Now bear with me for a moment as I use this illustration. This may not have ever happened to anybody else in the world. But I have water in my glass and let's say my daughter across the table has orange juice in hers. And all I see is the orange juice in hers and I grab my glass without thinking about the water and I take a sip of my drink. And I expect to taste orange juice, but what I actually get is water. It's this quick little reaction. I'm like, whoa, what am I drinking? Even though I knew I had water, but there's this switch in my head. I'm like, what is going on? And there's this expectation, this change that happens. And I'm like, oh, I am looking for the wrong thing. I'm looking for orange juice, but what I'm getting is water. And this is the kingdom of God. Jesus coming in, John the Baptist ushering in this kingdom of God that looks different than what we expect. So we're going to kind of read about that. So let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 11, or look on your phones, or our Bible gateway on your computers if you want to. Matthew chapter 11. We're going to look. It says here, Matthew chapter 11, verse 2 to 3. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Now, I'm going to be honest. When I was first looking at this section, I actually kind of glossed over this verse, not thinking it had much to do, but last, on Friday, I was looking at it, and I thought, actually, maybe this has something more to do with it than I think. And it's interesting, because John the Baptist, who, who we know, John is Jesus' cousin, um, Mary and Elizabeth came, and they, and they hung out, and the Spirit filled John the Baptist, so as he went through life, he knew that the Spirit was, was, was on him to bring and to, and to usher in Jesus in this kingdom. But as he did that, he, he had a bit of a different understanding, or perhaps it was his disciples had a bit, bit, bit of a different understanding. But it says here, he said, he says, when John was in prison, he heard about the deeds of the Messiah. He sent his disciples to ask, are you the one who is to come? John the Baptist, who is preparing the way for God, he was a little bit, either him or his disciples were a little bit confused. Is this the one? Are we supposed to be waiting for you, or are we supposed to be waiting for somebody else? So John the Baptist, we could be forgiven sometimes if we're looking in the wrong places for who Jesus is going to be, who Jesus looks like. Have you ever been like that? You're looking for Jesus. You're looking, you're thinking to yourself, I'm coming to Jesus, but you're actually looking possibly in the wrong spot. So John sent his disciples, are you the one that I'm looking for? And he says this. He says, Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Here is this Jewish people who have come to know and to accept and to be excited about the king coming, who is going to be like King David, who is going to come and he's going to conquer Herod, who's going to conquer King Herod, who's going to come in and bring judgment like Elijah did on, and the fire of God came to 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 the prophets of Baal. They're waiting for this strong-armed king. But what Jesus is saying is, I'm coming, I'm going to be your king, but I'm going to be a king that frees you out of slavery. I'm going to be a king that brings you out of, out of pain and destruction, and I'm going to bring you life. I'm going to be something that you've never expected to see. I'm going to come and I'm going to bring healing to those who have levers. I'm going to bring sight to the blind. I'm gonna, the lame are going to walk. I'm going to bring life to the poor. And John the Baptist's disciples might have been looking for someone different, but they see now, they see Jesus who is coming to bring life to the poor, life, life to the lifeless. And this is our king that we serve. This is the idea of a quartet of the vulnerable. 
Jesus is coming for the vulnerable. Jesus is coming for the people on the outside of our society. When we find ourselves looking for Jesus, maybe we need to look at a different place. Sometimes we're looking up here. Sometimes we're looking at a place where is is higher, is, is mightier, is stronger. But actually we need to revert our gaze and look down and look to the places of humility. And there we will start to find. Verse 7 and 8, As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those were fine clothes. Those who wear fine clothes are in the king's palaces. These people were going out to find this person that was leading the procession of Jesus coming in, leading the procession of the king coming in, and they were looking for someone dressed in fine clothes like they would be in a palace. Have you ever had this idea of, so let's say you're at a wedding. Now, COVID time, there's not too many weddings going on right now. There, you know, there's these small weddings. But when you're at a wedding and you have the MC, the MC pronounces, now we will enter in Mr. and Mrs. Whomever, and the person that is welcoming in Mrs. or Mrs. Whomever is going to be dressed right. He's going to be dressed for the occasion. It's almost like you dress for the job that you want to get. You dress for the, the position that you want. Now, I was, I was saying earlier, and I was thinking about this, do I dress in my loudest plaid shirt at a Mennonite service? Or shall I walk in maybe eating a locust and having camel hair for clothes? Or what should I be doing today? How should I be coming into this, into this service today? Because if I really am going to fix my gaze on who Jesus is, he says, come in humble, come in. Now, I look really good. Now, don't I? I understand that. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. But what's happening is we need to fix our gaze. We need to fix our eyes on who Jesus is. And he's not going to be what we expect. The person announcing the new, the new kingdom is not going to be what we expect because we expect a king of high and mighty and, and going to be tearing down and, and beating Herod and, and, and doing like King David. But no, we, we need to see and look for something else. If you're on your, at home right now and, uh, and you're on your Google machine and you're, you're distracted already, fair enough, but look up, just type in Jesus and uh, search the images. And what's going to come up is a lot of pictures, but you're going to start to see different images of Jesus. And one of them is going to be a blonde Jesus, a beautiful blonde Jesus with long, blonde flowing hair, striking blue eyes, and a really, uh, really lovely jawline, almost like windswept hair, like they just got off the West Coast surfing. And this beautiful Jesus is what we've done to place Jesus in the image that we want to see. Instead of us being created in God's image, we create God in our image. And we start to reverse these things and start to see differently of how we want to actually see what God is. So we have this blonde Jesus, we have this different looking Jesus than what is actually happening. Verse 11, Truly I tell you, among these born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet whoever is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. This kingdom that we serve and this kingdom that we live in is completely different than what we understand it to be. I often talk about an upside down kingdom and I don't know if that completely makes sense, but if you were walking to Buckingham Palace, you were to see there, there is a definite hierarchy and order that things happen and you have the queen and then you have the rest of them. <laughs> and I, I don't know who they all are, um, but eventually you get to Kate. I know who Kate is and Will is. And, uh, and, and, and the girl from, S not Scrubs, what's that TV show? Um, Suits. She just left and her husband. So that wouldn't be there anymore. But you have this hierarchy of what's happening. And it goes all the way down to the lowest. And you wouldn't expect, if you expected the king of the world to be there, you would expect right beside, right above the queen to be there. But no, you need to look upside down and look inversely to see what our kingdom looks like this self-promotion this idea of i am greater i am i am better is that is where we need to switch things around so he says among you there are bo there are born a woman there is sorry has not risen anyone greater than john the baptist yet whoever is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he no one that has been around is, there's basically nobody that's been around that is greater than John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is not the visual that you'd be looking for. And he says there's one more that's going to be greater than he. 
And you're looking at him because he's the one, Jesus, that's going to lay down his life for us. We need to stop and we need to re- rearrange our vision of what the kingdom looks like. And this is where we get into what we're really looking at. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Whoever has ears, let them hear. God, let us be people that really do hear and see who you are for who you want us to see. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Whoever really wants to see that I am the Savior, Jesus, I am the one that has come to save you. I am the one that have come to give you life, even though I'm not what you expected to see. I'm here to bring life. I'm here to bring hope. I'm here to bring a promise that maybe you don't understand. And then it says this. I go back. Basically, I'm talking about our narratives that we create. With the idea of blonde Jesus, we, we make our Jesus in, in the image that we want to see. And so we have these religious ways that we do things that we want to place and mold and fit someone in the way that we think works well. You know, when I was a kid, I always had this like pushback against the religious order of my church. Now, they were lovely people. I know they were. But there was this little thing on the way to church. I would sit in the back of my car, and if I had a hole in my jeans, I knew there was this one lady that would say, I can't believe you have holes in, the jeans, in your jeans as you come into God's, into, in, into, into the church. And so I'd sit in the back of my car. I knew that lady was going to say something, so I would just every week, I'd rip that hole a little bit bigger. I'd rip my hole in my jeans a little bigger. I'd make another hole just to really upset the, upset the norm, upset the narrative. So when people would come into church, they would see, and they, what people do, and what I do, and what we all do, is we come in and say, if you don't fit in the box that I've created for you, then you're not actually a part of God's kingdom. And if you over here don't fit in the box that I've created for you, then you don't fit in the box. And so we have these different, all of us, however many people in the room, however many people go to our church, we have these boxes that we think in our worldview affects how we see God. And so we think, you're here, you're here, and if you don't look like me, if you don't look like that, or I don't look like you, then we cannot get together. So this is what's happening with John the Baptist in verse, in verse 18. For John came, neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. John came, neither eating, eating nor drinking, and he looked different than what they looked like. And he said, and they said, he's got to have a demon. He doesn't even look like us. He doesn't eat or drink. He doesn't look or act like us. He cannot be who he says he is. He's got to have a demon. And then you have the Son of Man come in. Next, he says, the Son of Man came in eating and drinking. And they say, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. You have now Jesus come in, the exact opposite of what John the Baptist was, and saying, well, he doesn't fit in our narrative either. So he's a glutton and a drunkard. He's got a demon because he doesn't look like me. And what we do is we try to make everyone look like us. And if they don't look like us, they cannot be accepted in the kingdom of heaven. There's two starkly different people here, but that doesn't matter because he says, but wisdom is proved right by her deeds. We need to pray. We need to ask God, God, help us to be proved right by our deeds. Wherever we find ourselves, whatever corner of the earth we find ourselves in, whether we are eating or drinking or whether we don't eat or drink anything with people, just God... Prove it by our deeds. Prove it by our love for you. Prove it by how we live for you, God. Let's not worry about where we are, what we're doing. Let's worry about our heart and how our heart is placed towards Jesus. Because this idea of where you find Jesus in this world is going to be in the marginalized people. It's going to be in the people that have a different life than we have. It's going to be downtown with the homeless people. It's going to be in communities like the LGBTQ community where there is a, a pushed off to the side where we cannot see and we cannot see eye to eye with how they live their life. But we need to love each and every group of people. We need to care for each and every group of people. We need to see them how Jesus sees them, with love and care. The second part of this, as we move on to 11, chapter 20. Woe to the unrepentant towns, it says. There's this evangelical triangle of Capernaum, Chorazin, I don't know, maybe Glenn can say it better than me, and Bethsaida. 
And there's these three towns, and they're called the Triangle of the Evangelical, because the Evangelical Triangle, sorry. And there are these group of towns that more miracles had happened in those places than anywhere else. God's blessing was in these places. God's blessing was in these towns. God, Jesus came in and he raised people from the dead. He, he gave sight to the blind. And he said, Woe is you, Capernaum. You will not be lifted to the heavens. No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed to you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. The amount of beautiful things that happened in those three cities, if that happened in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have remained to this day. See, we live in this place, Kelowna, and it's a lovely place. And we are very fortunate to live here. You know, you can go on the lake, you can go on your paddle boards, you can go just to the beach and go into the water. And we think, man, we have a pretty great place. I was on a boat one time, and the captain of the boat saw something. He's like, oh, man, how the other half live. And it was this idea of like, hey, how the other half live. And I'm thinking to myself, you're captaining a boat that I'm just sitting on. I'm like thinking, oh, how the other half live to him. And then I started thinking, I bet you there's people on the shore looking at me in this nice boat, and they're saying, oh, how the other half live out there. And then there's people in Calgary, I'm from Calgary, so I can say this, that think to myself, that think, man, you guys live in Kelowna. Oh, how the other half live. And then we live in Canada, and there's people down south in America thinking to themselves, oh, how the other half live up in Canada. Free health care, come on. But then we start going deeper we start going around the world to third world countries and they think, ah, oh, that Western world, oh, how the other half live. We're so fortunate to be here. And I'm not going to be one that says blessing comes financially. That's not how I think this works. But I do know that we are very fortunate to be where we're at in the position we're in. I've seen many miracles in my life. And the many miracles have, have drawn out what God is doing in my life. There's moments that I, that I have a... That I, that I have a church service where I know the presence of God is with me, where I know the Holy Spirit is talking to me, where I see a healing, where I experience a healing in my own life. But that moment can die off. That moment can fade away. Because that miracle is not God's salvation. That miracle is not the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus is dying to yourself and living for Him. So as we walk through this life and we have the blessings and we have the fortunate place that we are in, Let's remember, that is not our salvation. Our salvation is living for Christ, and living for Christ is dying to everything that we have in our own world and giving it to Him. So that's what happened with this evangelical trial. They took their eyes off of who Jesus was, and they started looking at all the miracles. We want more miracles, but we don't want the life that Jesus has laid out. So we have to be careful about that. And then we get to where I wanted to start in the first place. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you are pleased to do. It's saying here, if we don't come like little children and see these beautiful miracles like they happened in the, tri the evangelical triangle, if we don't come and see it with eyes of little children, we're not going to see it properly in the end. My wife and I were talking last night as we were about to go to bed, and, and she was saying, C.S. Lewis talks about how 80 to 90% of our relationship with God is about needing God. Everything that we do, not 100% of us, we need God. But 80 to 90% of what we're doing, we need God. And a child needs their parents. So we, we go through life hoping that we can do it on our own. Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. We want to live on an island. We want to do things the way we want to do things. And if anything gets in the way of our plans, we have these great plans that's going to take us to retirement, or we have these great, great plans that are going to get us through our childbearing years, or great plans to get us into a marriage, or great plans to meet someone, or great plans to get through high school, or great plans to get through whatever. And once those plans start to melt away, we forget that we need to trust God. My wife and I and kids were... A little history of myself. We were living in England, and we were there for um, four years, just under four years. And we had two of our, our two daughters, and our son was born in Canada later on, but our two daughters were born there. And the government said, it's time for you to leave 
the country, right, right around the time that Emily was due. And so we were really, we were scratching our heads. We're like, well, we can't fly at this time because it's third trimester. We don't really want to leave because this is home for us now. But we knew that the government was kicking us out, and we had to hope, and we had to stop, and we had to, and we had to hope in Jesus. We had to trust our plans to him. And eventually, as time went on, we were, we were, we were de- kicked out of the country about six or eight months later. We held on as long as we could. But God provided for us because we had to stop and say, we have plans, but we're going to allow you, God, to take our plans and to do something different with it. And I had to trust him because he was a good parent to me. I was dependent on him. So children, the wisdom of the children is what we're going to talk about here. The wisdom of the children is children are dependent. Children are dependent for finances, housing, and relationships. If you have a four-year-old at home, look over to your four-year-old and think, they are not about to go out and rent something. They are not about to go out and find a job to help pay for the pay for your house. They're not about to go out and find their own relationships and friendships. They are completely dependent on you to provide good things. Now, as we strive as, as parents, as adopted parents, as, as guardians, we strive to do our best to love our kids the best. We want to put them in the best positions. So we bring around the right kids and play dates, or we, or we take them to the right schools, or we give them a house, we give them a loving place. Children are 100% dependent on their parents. So when we say, come to me, all who are weary, we are coming to a God that we can say, God, we are dependent on you. God, we are dependent on you for our housing. We are dependent on you for our finances. We are dependent on you for our careers. We are dependent on you for our plans. We are dependent on you. Even dependent on him for our relationships. Children are trusting Children trust their parents. Obviously, eventually, in broken homes, that trust is ruined, but you want to protect that trust as much as you can. Now, God is a good God, and He's a good Father, and we can trust Him. As you walk in these relationships, you can trust that He has your best interest at heart. He has your best interest at heart. As you walk and you're confused and things are changing, COVID, you have lost your job or you've, you've wandered in this place and you're at home and you're stuck and you're depressed, you can trust God that he loves you and he's walking with you. His presence is with you. Children are so trusting, they don't discriminate. They don't see one side or the other side. They don't see color. They don't see, they don't see status. They don't see social status. They are trusting of people. They trust and they see people made in the image that they're made. They see them as equal. They see them as God's image bearers. Even though they don't maybe know that's what they're seeing, but they're seeing that. And, and, and Jesus is saying, come like children. Come trusting. Come not discriminating. Children are humble. They know. Now, children also, the world revolves around them, obviously, a little bit. But, for the most, but children are humble. They understand that they can't do this on their own. Jesus just said, come to me humbly. Come to me humble and say, I'm going to walk with you. I'm not going to make this about me. I'm going to make this about you. Children are observant. My kids, my boy, Elisha, Eli, seven years old, he sees me pick up three two-by-fours to bring to the backyard. He thinks I'm the strongest dad in the world. You're right, Eli, I am. He thinks I can do anything. My dad could beat up your dad. That's me. I can't. Just so you know, please don't pick a fight with me. But he thinks that I'm a superhero. That's what God wants us to think. He is our God. He is beautiful. He, we are observant about who he is. If a kid were to see this, this miracles take place, he's saying, come to me, be observant. He who has an ear, let them hear. And so as you hear, as you see miracles happen, you know that that is God our King. If a child were to see someone raise someone from the dead, they're going to be like, that person that raised them from the dead who made life come out of death, that person there is conquering death. And that's what we're looking at. We're looking at God who conquers death. That's our King. That's our God. That's who we serve is someone who has conquered death. Kids are observant. When they see something good, they want to follow that. When they see something bad, they want to run away from it. 
God's saying, come to me. Because you can trust as you come to me that I am king of life. I am king of death. I am Lord over all of this. Children are proud of who they have as parents. Kids are proud to be in a family. Kids are proud of mom and dad. And perhaps you're here and you didn't have the greatest upbringing and you couldn't necessarily be proud of mom and dad. This is the idea in the kingdom of what family is supposed to look like. We are proud of God our Father. I want to say, God, Jesus, I am so proud of you. He's proud of us, but God, I am proud of you and what you've done. God, I want to be proud. I want to, I want to make recognize that I'm proud of you. I want to tell my friends, this is who I serve. I am proud to serve you, God. I'm proud to serve you and not money. I'm proud to serve you and not my fears and my finances. I'm proud to serve who you are and not who I don't think I am. I want to serve you, God. I'm proud of that. Kids are receptive to gifts. Christmas time comes. A Tonka truck comes in, the, in a package and you get a Tonka truck. This is not sponsored by Tonka. Tonka, if you want to sponsor us at Willow Park, we would be glad for that. No, we wouldn't. But you get a Tonka truck as a present. You know where that Tonka truck came from. That came from mom and dad. It wouldn't be here, and I'm going to play with it. I'm going to play with it really hard for the next four or five minutes, and then I'm going to go on to the next toy. But you receive that gift. You get excited about that gift because you know it comes from mom and dad. We need to be excited about what we have. Come to me because you know that the good gifts that you have come from me, says God. And kids celebrate, are celebratory of the love of family. We don't need to work to gain the love of mom and dad. They love us. We love our kids so much. They don't need to do anything. If they thought, if they came up to me and said, Dad, I need to do something more to earn your love, it would break my heart. God says to you, you don't have to do anything else to earn my love. I love you. No more and no less than I can. That's with all my heart. Let's just celebrate being in this family. Then Matthew eleven twenty seven. All things have been committed to my to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those whom the Son chooses to reveal to Him. I was excited about this set of verses for this part. See, we see God, and we sometimes get confused. Like we we go outside and looking for that comet that's flying across the sky or that meteor or whatever that we can't really see here. Maybe we can. I haven't seen it. I don't want to stay up that late. But we look and we see nature. We see God so vast. I'm like, how do I serve you properly, God, that's made this universe? There's a song Chris Tomlin sings, and it has that one line, and it says, indescribable, uncontainable. Yes, I, but describing God as vast as God is, we can do through His Son, Jesus. You can describe God through Jesus. God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There has never been a time when God was not like Jesus. We haven't always known this, but now we do. God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. You might be looking through your Old Testament like, man, this is so confusing. There's a lot of weird things that are going on in this Old Testament. There is. Don't let me tell you anything else. It's different. It's confusing. But God doesn't change. The Son is not an agent of change acting upon the Father. The Son is not an agent of change trying to act upon the Father to change who the Father is. No. The Son is the perfect revelation of who the Father eternally is. Let me say that again. The Son is not an agent of change acting upon the Father. No, the Son is the perfect revelation of who the Father eternally is. So as we look to Jesus, we see who the Father is. As we want to worship the Father, as we want to worship God, we look to the Son and we see who He is. We see Jesus, the gardener, after His resurrection. Mary's looking for Jesus. Where is He? Where is He? Where is he? I can't see him. No, he's the gardener. He's this humble gardener bringing new life. 
We're looking at this king coming into Jerusalem. Is he going to be riding on a war horse? No, he's riding in on a donkey. We're looking up, but we need to be looking down. We need to, we're looking up to the top of the palace. We need to be looking down to the lowly servant. Jesus is washing his disciples' feet. As you walk into a palace and you know that there is going to be a king there, if you walk into the courts and you see someone washing someone else's feet, you will automatically assume the person that is having their feet washed is king. But as we walk into our kingdom, as we walk into God's kingdom, as we walk into the kingdom of Jesus, when you walk into the palace room and you see someone having their feet washed, the person, person washing the feet is our king. The person washing the feet is our king. He is our God. He is our king. This image here comes from, I like to think it comes from the idea where the Bible presents to us, but it's this A.W. Tozer talks a lot about God being revealed through Christ. N.T. Wright puts it as like, Jesus is our window looking glass. We look through and we see God and we see his beauty. This V, the Father and the Holy Spirit, is eternity up here. And where it meets this line that is earth, this is Jesus. And Jesus is God perfectly revealed. Jesus is God's exegetical sermon about himself. God sent Jesus so we would know fully who he is. So now that we know this, now that we see John the Baptist as someone who we weren't expecting to see, now that we see all these miracles that happen in the evangelical triangle, and you're thinking to myself, this is, all these miracles are who God is. No, that's not. You have to avert your eyes. You have to change your eyes and look like little children. Come humbly. And then we can come to this verse. Going to have a little music in the background, and we're going to take some time to go through this verse. And if you're at home right now, you've stuck with us, I just want you to take a moment to close your eyes. Perhaps put your hands just in a comfortable spot. We're going to meditate on this verse. As is come, as we come to him, need to recognize who we're coming to. God, help our eyes to see you. Help our eyes to be placed into the place that we're supposed to be looking. Not where we want to look, not where our ideas have, have placed it, but to you. So we come to you, Jesus. It says, come to me. Personally, me, he's here with you. Wherever you're at, the Spirit is with you. Come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. If you're at home, you're weary and burdened, and life has just beaten you down. Come to Jesus. Come to God. Come to the Father. gentle and humble in heart. Jesus is humble in heart. He is humble and we forget this, that we're supposed to come like children who are humble and he's saying, I'm coming humble too. There is no reason for the God who created this universe to come humbly, but he does. So we say, God, we don't want to place our values and our position above you. We come humble. Humble at heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Father, we come to you. Just like we studied in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who seek justice. Blessed are those who are crying because life is not going the way they wanted it to go. 
because I'm going to give you rest. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to walk with you through that. Let's take our eyes off the person we think is king and look at the person washing the feet. That's our king. He's washing your feet. He was with you. He was walking with you. He was caring for you. God, be with us. God, meet with us. God, we love you. Amen. Amen. God, I just want to... God, thank you that we can be here. And your grace allows us to be in your presence. Thank you all for joining us today. Pray that you have a great week. And remember as you go, just to walk humbly with him. Come like children, dependent on him.